Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show, coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska, where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott, and welcome aboard, everyone, to the Must Read Alaska show coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. And guess who we have on the show today? We're very, very fortunate. We've got a special guest, our very own Fritz Pettyjohn, who's a columnist with Must Read Alaska, and he's been writing a lot lately about uh, campaign finance reform and, and a permanent fund dividend and a lot of other things. Welcome to the show, Fritz Pettyjohn. Well, thank you, Suzanne, and I'm um... Glad to have an outlet uh, for my uh, for my columns in the Must Read Alaska. It's it's far preferable to be on your website than the Daily News. It's much oh. it's a much more congenial atmosphere, and I feel right at home with you and and your uh, efforts there. Oh well, thank you very much. And and for our listeners who don't know who you are. You are a, a former legislator. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about your background? I know you've got a, a law degree. You you served in the legislature. You've you've served in the Navy. Well, I mean, let me, let me tell me a little bit go, about go, your background. Let me go my, through my story real quickly. Uh, after college, I bummed around for a while. And then in 1969, I came up to Anchorage to meet uh, the legendary Fritz Pettyjohn, the original Fritz Pettyjohn, who was a war hero in the 82nd Airborne in World War II. And I'd heard all these stories about this guy. So I came up to Anchorage to check him out and to state out. I was in Anchorage for probably two weeks and I decided that's this is where I want to live. This is yeah. this is this is gonna be my home. And yeah. uh I went back outside. I couldn't really make a living. I didn't have any skills, so I went out for law school, met and married my wife, and we came back up together in seventy four and I started a law practice and then uh Next thing you know, I got involved in politics, and, and in 1982, I was elected to the state Senate, thanks to Governor Jay Hammond, who reapportioned the state to uh, to help me out, <laughs> uh, quite honestly. And uh, then I served in, the, served in the legislature for eight years and retired and started writing a column for the Daily News and had a radio talk show on KENI, Fritz Till Six. I think it was the first conservative talk show in in Alaska. I think and, so. Uh, yeah, and then in 2000, uh, my wife's uh, mother was her health was failing, and you know she'd given me 27 years up there, and it was time for me to you know to to do do right with her. So I we came back down here, and I've been involved politically, uh, but not in Alaska until just last summer. I. I came up there and uh, met a bunch of people that I liked and I believed in, and I tried to help them out with their campaigns. And next thing you know, I'm hip deep in Alaska politics. And and lo and behold, I looked at, and I thought I saw my head, my Lord, my Lord, 2022, a constitutional convention is going to be on the ballot. Oh my Lord, what a what an opportunity! Because it was obvious to me as I familiarized myself with what was going on up there. The permanent fund dividend had become a big bone of contention, which, you know, I, I, I was, you know, disappointed because 
I, I was a, I was a Hammond man when I was in politics. Right. And Jay Hammond was one of the people who started the permanent fund. He was, as governor, started the permanent fund dividend program. And oh. he, he always said the reason we have, a, have to have a dividend is to give the people a stake in the fund. I have remember that. I was, I, was, I was there. I remember that. And it worked. Now everybody cares a lot about the permanent fund. And, 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 and if we're going to keep that public uh, involvement and protection of the fund, the dividend is crucial. And you, you, we have to have the dividend to protect the fund itself. And with, with declining revenues and so forth, the dividend's the first thing they cut, you know, because they want the money to spend themselves. Well, the way it's been going for the last, what, five years, this is all the leg- what mainly the legislature fights over how big the dividend's going to be. It's well, absolutely true. Hammond wanted it in the Hammond wanted it in the Constitution. Put the dividend in the Constitution, and and that way we we know we're going to have it this generation, next generation, for generations to come, and and that way it makes the permanent fund permanent. And the only way to do it would be a constitutional convention. I could see that last year, uh, and so now the time has come for the people of the state to decide if they if they. They want to have a convention if they trust themselves with the uh, the authority to decide what the future of the dividend will be. And uh, I think that people should trust themselves. The, the, the reason we have this provision in the Constitution giving us the right for a convention every 10 years, because the people who wrote the Constitution could see a day when it was necessary for the people to exercise their authority uh, circumventing the legislature to get around the legislature in case that it was ever necessary. Well, if it was ever necessary, it's necessary today. This problem needs to be solved or it needs to be resolved. And the people have to understand that the, the, the delegates who will be at this convention and who will write the amendment that then will be offered to the people on, in an election to say, yep, yes or no, these delegates will be different than the kind of people we normally get in the legislature to run how, the legislature. How do, we, how, do we pick, how do we pick these delegates in, in for a constitutional convention? What's the process well, for I, picking I, those? That's going to be up to the legislature. The legislature has to write a bill. And I've talked to a number of legislators and I've encouraged them to, to, to conform as closely as possible to the way the delegates were elected in 1955, which was a little unique. Uh, they, they, there were three classes of, of, of delegates. There were from districts, and the districts were roughly the size of Senate districts today. So you would, you would have uh, a delegate from each Senate district, and then you would have a number of delegates coming from each section of the state, Southeast, the Bush, Anchorage, the Rail Belt. There, there, there would be delegates who would be selected at large from within those subunits of, of, of Alaska. So Southeast would send three or four delegates just from Southeast. Bush would send, I don't know how many, depending on population. Well, and let's talk about that for a also... second. Who, who selects? Who does that selecting? So um, if, if you're in Southeast Alaska, who's, who's in charge of selecting that at-large delegate? Would the it people. be Somebody has the people? You, you run. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's an opening. Okay. Somebody has to file. And I'm, I, you have to say, I want to be a delegate from Southeast and put your name out there. 
And the interesting thing about the way they did it in 55, which I urge, I would, I'm going to urge the legislature to repeat, is that in order to file, to be a, a delegate, whether from a, a Senate district or from a region or statewide, some, some, uh, some of these delegates will be statewide. Uh, in order to do that, to qualify, to be beyond the ballot, you have to get a certain number of signatures from voters in that area who agree that you should be a delegate and they want you to be a delegate. So if this, the way it worked in 55 was great. You had community leaders, you had people who were known, respected, and trusted as delegates. And it was all partly because of the way they were selected. They, in order to, not just anybody could file as, to run as a delegate, you had to have support. You had to have so you'd have to have your, a... Uh, signatures on a petition, for instance, I'm in uh, yeah, just yeah. somebody from Southeast says I'm, I, I need to get a hundred people on on this piece of paper signing that I'm a good person. And then, do you run an election through the division of elections, or yeah, yeah, through the division of elections? So there's however however many candidates there are. Let's say there are uh, let's say uh, four or four at large delegates from Southeast Alaska. Whoever okay. files to run for one of those seats, there'll you know there'll be more than four candidates presumably, and the top four vote getters will be delegates. And uh, the same in statewide. You know, we have a certain number of of delegates will be selected statewide. And if who, somebody will file, I want to be a, a delegate, and I want to be elected statewide. Well, you know, then whoever gets the most votes wins. And, you know, and the second and third, depending on how many are assigned to that category. So you get a cross section. You don't in 55. They only had eight legislators out of the 55 delegates, which is oh, great. That's surprising. That's that's actually good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But here's and, a question for you. Would, are you going to end up with all lawyers? Because, you know, lawyers, no offense. No, but... no, 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 no. That's not the way it happened in 55. 55, you had a real cross section. You had people who were known and trusted, not just and lawyers. I have to. I mean, I'm a lawyer. Okay, lawyers are not exactly people's first choice when no. they when it comes to trust. No. <laughs> they they no. trust other people more than they trust lawyers, and I hate to say it, but for good reason. So no, you're not going to have a domination by lawyers. You're going to have a domination by people who are known and respected and trusted, and they will be sent and they will. I, I know for, I'm for sure that they're going to take their this job very seriously. They're going to go in there with the idea that doing the best thing long term for the state of Alaska. They'll meet people from all over the state together. They'll deliberate and they'll come up with something and then they'll put it out to the people for a vote. Here's a well, question for what's you. Wrong Back, that, yeah, what's mean, wrong with that? Suzanne? Yeah, what's wrong with that? Why does that How about scary? partisanship? How about partisanship? In the, in, back in the, it seems no, like no, in the 50s. No Republican or Democrat. You don't even identify as that. There's no so, Republican caucus or Democrat caucus at all. Back in the, no. back in the 50s, people were, didn't, they weren't as partisan and as, as, as harshly divided as they are today. I mean, people today are oh. so viciously divided. It's, it's hard to imagine um, a a cock, some sort of a convention of Alaskans that didn't sort of devolve into pardon, partisanship bickering. Well, it depends on the kind of people that come as delegates, the kind of people that are selected. Uh, I, I like to think that people would want uh, delegates who were reasonable, who were willing to listen, 
who weren't ideologues who were there to to deliberate and and listen and and work together to put together a solution. Now, call me an incurable optimist, but what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is to just let let the uh, let the legislators do it, let the elites do it. I mean, I, I see Kathy Giesel was opposed to this. Well, I, you know, I, it's kind of ironic to me that she's saying to the people, "No, you should not trust yourselves. You should trust me." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well. I, I'd rather trust the people. Here's a question for you. You get you get this group together, and if you know they're going to get pressure from outside, I am sure that's typically how it would work. And there are some things that I would really like to change about our constitution. I don't. I hear a lot of people say that our constitution is a model constitution, and I don't happen to agree with that. I think it's um, pretty good as a whole, but there's some things I don't. I don't like. I don't like the way, for instance, that judges are selected in our state. I think that's um, led us down a very very liberal path where only uh, members of the bar association really are picking the judges for the rest of us. And, and we really don't have a choice. Other people might say, well, once you open up that constitution, you're going to have a big fight over abortion. That's a, a big deal. The right to privacy, that, that clause in our constitution right now protects um, a woman's right to choose. And there are many people who have sort of you know, change their minds and think that maybe maybe what we ought to do is uh, allow the, the baby a, a chance at its first breath, really. And then, you know, in terms of some of these other things, like the permanent fund dividend, of course, a, a massive fight, as you pointed out, for years, ever since Bill Walker broke into it by saying he was going to veto half of the fund, half of the permanent fund dividend, and then he didn't do anything with it. He just put it back in the earnings reserve fund. And it sat there. And, and so he, he essentially used our permanent fund dividends to pay for, for government and then, and then didn't even use it for that. Um, a lot of us would like to see that put in the Constitution so that no politician elected could ever do that again, because that was a real stunt. So you get all these, these things that people want. And there might be some other things, too. Those would be the main things I would think of. How do we how do we get through a constitutional convention and get all the work done? Well, you 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 organize the convention, you elect a chairman, and then you appoint committees. One committee will deal with the permanent fund and the dividend. Another will deal with uh, judicial judicial selection. Another will deal with whatever the delegates decide they want to try to to, to fix. And we don't know what that would be. They'll have to sit down and and just say okay. There's a certain group here that wants to address the issue of the way judges are selected in this state. So there's enough of people interested in that. We're going to have a committee. You're going to meet, and you're going to try to see if you can come up with a proposal, change the system we have now for the better, and then you bring it to the floor, and the convention as a whole will debate it and, decide, and amend it or whatever they want to do. It, it works kind of like a legislature. Uh, except that it's not a legislature. It just has a, a limited shelf life. I, I, I wouldn't hope that I would hope the convention would last not more than 45 days. You don't want this thing to extend forever. It, no. Is there, a, is there, a, is there a limit on such a thing that a convention has a, a, a constitutional convention would have a limit on it? Whatever the legislature decides. Would decide. So this, so this really gets back to them days. at this point. It does. Now they're, 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 they, they really need to pay if, if the if the people vote for a convention, the the next legislature, the one that's elected in 2022, 
they will have the obligation of writing a bill that will determine how the delegates are selected, where the convention is held, when it is held, uh, the, everything, you know, the, the length of the session of the, of the convention. And uh, that bill will determine all of these uh, things, these questions that you're asking. Uh, I, I've, I hope that they would try to follow the bottle of, of the 1955 legislation, which, uh, which worked great. And uh, so then what, you know, happens, I, I, what happens, what happens if they really blow it? Okay. So they, they blow it and they don't, um, follow the spirit of what was passed in the Constitutional Convention. And then I would as presume that the um, opposing or minority party would then file a lawsuit and then the, it would be into the courts. Well, I'm not sure what you mean, Suzanne. By, by you, well, by it just seems like everything that. ends up everything ends up in our courts these days. So even could, could a decision coming from a Constitutional Convention, then the bills have to be written to match this, the intent and what if the bills don't match the intent or if they match it, but then the opposing party says, you know, we're going to take this to uh, the Alaska Supreme Court and let the court decide. Do you think that's possible? Well, not really. No, the court has no jurisdiction here. A constitutional convention is a is an entity that has power independent of the judicial branch. It has the power to offer amendments. And the, 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 the judicial branch does not have the authority to intervene in the workings of that convention or in the work product of that convention. It's outside their jurisdiction. They have no, no authority whatsoever. And uh, I don't expect them to do I, I have I, the Supreme Court. I have a lot of disagreements with the Supreme Court, but there, there's, there's a lot of precedent from this from around the country. This wouldn't be the first state constitutional convention. No. It probably won't be the last. And there's a lot of case law on it. And the case law is, is uniformly says the courts do not have the right to intervene in the working of a constitutional convention. That it, 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 it is an authority above the court itself. Interesting. And so that, I mean, that's, that's a fascinating um, point. And I had not really considered it until this, this point. But another thing that could happen at a convention is we could tackle campaign finance reform, do you think? No, I, don't, I think not, uh, Suzanne. Well, maybe just a broad sense. You, 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 you don't want to write legislation at a, at a constitutional convention. That's not what it's for. You don't want to write a law on abortion. You don't want to write a law on campaign finance reform. You want provisions in a constitution which have to be followed when you write the laws. But you don't want to actually write the laws. That's a, that's, that's a ba very bad idea. The United States Constitution, we wrote a law one time, but through the amendment process, it was called prohibition. It was, mm. it was really more of a than a constitutional provision, but it passed, and it was part of the Constitution for 12 years until it was repealed. It was a big mistake. No, constitutions are for general principles, uh, not for specific legislation. Uh, and the permanent fund dividend can be uh, guaranteed in the Constitution, but it, it's, you're not going to write a piece of legislation. You're going to write a formula which will be followed mm. by the legislature in deciding, uh, you know, in determining permanent fund dividend amounts. But it won't, won't write the bill. That's, that's not what they're for. 
So let's let's pivot on this for just a second, though, because on in today's column that you wrote in Must Read Alaska, and for those who are just tuning in, it's Fritz Pettyjohn is our guest today, a former Senate state senator, uh, Fritz Pettyjohn from Anchorage, and uh, you wrote about the dark money coming into our state this year with the decision on uh, Thompson versus Hebden, the, 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 the Supreme Court ruling that threw out the $500 limit on campaigns. And you wrote about how, what a solution might be for that. But you had a, a completely different point of view on, on that one than you do on a state constitutional convention. No, so what was your idea on this one? Very similar, it's very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, article five of the United States Constitution is similar in many respects to the provision in Section three of of, uh, or, uh, of Article thirteen of our Constitution. Instead of giving the people a right to vote every ten years, as our as state constitution does, the United States Constitution gives legislatures, state legislatures, the authority to propose amendments independent of Congress. Congress has nothing to do with it. This. If the state legislature decide that they need to propose an amendment themselves, they can do this. If 34 of them, two-thirds, agree on what they should address, then they could have an amendment convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, state legislatures would each send a delegation to a convention with one man, or one state, one vote, and these delegates would try to come up with some campaign finance reform uh, Language, this, which could and, be essentially yeah, and so, what, what, what one so, of the things these conventions can do is they can overturn Supreme Court decisions. Right. And so, uh, so now, you're, now what we're talking about is really a, uh, a convention of the states, sort of a thing, or uh, it's a, it's a limited. It would be a limited purpose. It would be a, a, have some sideboards on it, correct? Absolutely. Depending on the on, on the call that is made by each state, each state has to pass a resolution calling for a an amendment convention on this subject. Right. So it's an amendment convention. To- That's different than a, um, a constitutional convention. It's it's very limited. Correct. It's limited to the to the subject matter for which it's called. Uh, it only has authority to deal with, let's say, campaign finance reform. We can't start talking about balanced budgets or anything. It's just campaign finance reform. And what essentially this, the, the uh, an amendment convention can do is to be, there, there are a number of different ways they can go. Uh, my personal preference would be amend, to amend section four of article one of the constitution. This is the section that gives Congress the authority to regulate its own election. And that, that provision was a mistake. Uh, each state should control how its congressional delegation is elected. Okay, so Fritz, I want to ask you about this. This is a point that I did not realize. I had, I, had, I had not really absorbed this until I read your column this morning about how Congress has the right to conduct its own elections and whether that this and whether the state should actually be given that authority. Can you expand on that a little bit? Well, excuse me. Uh, it, this was this was a, a matter of debate at the Constitutional Convention. Uh, who should control congressional elections? And and you have to understand what was going on in 1787. 
And Madison and other delegates there did not trust the state legislatures. They thought that the legislatures were kind of going to somehow try to screw up the new federal government and mess with the way uh, congressmen are elected. So they decided to give Congress the right uh, to protect itself from the states and give them the right to decide how their elections would be held. Well, now here we are, 230-some years later, things have changed. Congress has taken the power that it has to control its own elections, and they've set up a system uh, of, uh, you know, you, you can't break in. These, these, yeah. they're, they're, they've got this thing fixed. The NRA, and, NRSC is a good example of National Republican Senatorial Committee. I mean, they they are a money powerhouse, and and it's it's pretty well locked down. Everything's locked down. Yeah, it's money. It's all money, money, money. Uh, that Washington D.C. is a swamp because it's loaded with all this money, mm-hmm. and it's loaded with because the power is in Congress. The power should be returned to the states. Let Alaska decide. What kind of campaign finance laws we want? California can write whatever they want. Let every state decide how how they're going to do it. Now, that, to me, is real campaign finance reform. That's federalism. That's giving each state control over its own congressional delegation, which they should have. And uh, that's that's my idea. Other people have different ideas about what campaign finance reform amendment should be. But this and, is all will be discussed at the amendment convention. And and you're talking about really federal. These are federal elections, and it should. And when we speak about federalism, we mean you know returning the power to the states, not uh, not controlling the the power in the federal government, but returning it to the states. And and there's a group that you mentioned in your column about this wolf pack that is working on getting an amendment convention going. And tell us about the successes they've had or the hill they have to climb. Well, it's interesting. They were having good success. They they started up, I think, in 2012, 2013, and they quickly got five states uh, to pass resolutions calling for an amendment convention to take up campaign finance reform. They got California, New Jersey, Vermont, uh, Illinois, and uh, I can't remember the other one. And uh, then they they ran against a brick wall. And it's very interesting what happened to this 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 group wolf pack. These are progressives. These are liberals. Oh, you so know. you're promoting now, a liberal thing now, huh? Huh? No, but well, wait a second. Is campaign finance reform liberal? No. What's liberal about wanting campaign finance reform? Eighty percent of the people in this country, when polled, will ask you they want campaign finance reform. They know right. the system is corrupt. They do. They get yeah. it. That's not that's not a liberal idea. Campaign yeah. finance reform is 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 far from it. And the way so I you, the way so I you have, my version, it's it's federalism. That's what I call campaign finance reform. So you've got this group called Wolf Pack, or not you don't you don't have it, but you are aware of it. You're knowledgeable about it. I'm working and, with them. I'm working oh, with them. They're good okay. people. They're patriots. They believe in the and, Constitution. And you're working with them, um, and they are based out of where? Oh, they're mainly in uh, in New England. In, in uh, New England, states. interesting uh-huh. story. Even as we speak, even as we speak, Suzanne, mm-hmm. they're fighting a rescission uh, fight in the New Jersey Assembly, and I've been watching it on on uh, television today. Uh, New Jer- they're trying to rescind the resolution that that Wolfpack passed in New Jersey, 
seven years ago in 2014. The interesting thing about it is that the man who's who's uh, leading the charge on this rescission is is Senate President Steve Sweeney. Now you may have heard of Sweeney because he's the guy that got beat by the truck driver. This oh, is the same guy who lost to the truck driver. As soon as he right. as soon as he lost that election, he filed a bill to rescind the Article 5 resolution that Wolfpack had passed seven years ago that he had avidly supported. And then a few days after that, he announces that after he leaves office, he's going to start a think tank. He's going to have a think tank. And, you know, how how is this think tank going to be funded? It's going to be funded by big money, dark money donations. He's doing these people a favor. And and one of them, and it's just one of them, is George Soros. George Soros is a man. I don't really oppose to any use of Article Five. I we we, we ran, I was working with the Balanced Budget Amendment Group, and we had 29 states. We were in Montana, and we were about to get Montana. George Soros, one of his groups, he's got about I don't know how many front groups he's got with his. He's, he's got gone. several. Yeah, he called up the governor of Montana, told him to kill the bill, and he killed it. And that's when I first realized George Soros is our enemy here, and he oh. he there he fights. Us, he fights Wolfpack, he fights anyone who wants to use Article 5 of the Constitution. And that's dirty money, it's dark money. And that's what we're up against. So this has been fascinating. Boy, this this half hour is going by really, really fast. I, I really regret how quickly the time is flying when I'm talking to you. But you, I wanted you to talk a little bit about the Reagan Project, because I know I want people to know about that website and to also know what you're doing over there. Well, the, it's, it's called the Reagan Project, in right? 20, in, in 2013, Suzanne, uh, I could see a wet red wave coming. The reaction to the implementation of Obamacare, it was overwhelmingly negative. Then the women of this country, the women, you know, women control this country. And yes. when the women are upset, things happen. Women were upset about Obamacare and things were going to happen. And that was going to be big. And I, I thought, well, now is the time for Article 5. Article 5, this is the solution. This is what we need to reform our country. This is how you reform campaign finance. That's how you reform fiscal policy in Washington. Article 5 is the vehicle that has to be used. So I started the Reagan Project. Mm-hmm. And it's just where I promote Article 5. Any Article 5. You want term limits? I'll promote you. You know, I don't... Mm-hmm. It, campaign finance reform sounds good to me. I'll, I'll promote any idea because I know that when that 34 threshold is met and a convention is called the good women, men and women who represent uh, the leadership of the, our 50 state legislatures will get together and they will form a bipartisan solution. It can never be partisan because a, a partisan uh, amendment can never be ratified. And so no. I'm, I, I am, I'm, I'm convinced that Article 5 is the method that the framers gave us to deal with the problems we're facing, and it's just up to us to do it. Well... Uh, I want everybody to go and check out your website. Uh, you will also see when you go to reaganproject.com, you will also see the the columns that that Fritz is writing on Must Read Alaska as well, because you post them there as well. So um, you can see some columns that, that, that don't appear on Must Read Alaska. And I was really overjoyed to go there and find a, a lot of really good material to read, especially on these constitutional issues. And thank you so much for being on our show today. 
For everybody out there, I want to wish you a Merry Christmas. Check out all of our stories at mustreadalaska.com, including the latest column by Fritz Pettyjohn, which is posted just today. And I want to thank you, Scott Levesque, for being our producer. Really appreciate all you've done to grow this uh, project here at Must Read Alaska. We we have had over 50,000 downloads in the past year of our podcast. And for everybody who's listening, thank you so much. If you'd like to support this side, the conservative side of the news in Alaska, well, then the donate button is on the right side of the page there at mustreadalaska.com. And your support will help us stay strong and independent against that big blue tide of liberal media. And we all know what that means. Till next week, we're signing off from somewhere in Alaska. Bye.